It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornstein. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornstein. I'm the senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs. I'm thrilled that you're tuning in today because we are continuing. This is part three in our study of angelic beings. Now, if you've missed any of the prior studies that we've been through on this already, you can visit us at calvaryfountain.com. Again, calvaryfountain.com. And there under video and audio, there's a little drop-down tab there, and you can download any of the prior broadcasts and share it with your friends and family alike uh, because we are continuing in this very powerful discussion. It is a powerful discussion because we're talking about these unseen realities that are all around us every single day and in the presence of Almighty God before His throne room, not only do we find that we're curious about such things, but we want accuracy in this. And that's why this program, Engage in Truth, is here so that we can go through the Bible verse by verse, explore these details with precision and accuracy so that we know how to address these issues and discussion points when we have these kind of conversations with our friends and family. And so to help me do that here in the studio, Dr. Steve Ford. Dr. Ford, always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for being here on Engage in Truth. Thank you, John. This has been such a great discussion. And as we talked about before the show, there are some of these categories that are easy just to blur together, to read right. through quickly mm-hmm. and, and really not recognize the distinction. So this has really been wonderful. It's been really, really illuminating. In our discussions so far, we've covered angels and demons and archangels, seraphs, and cherubs. Mm-hmm. So we've really, we've really done quite a lot so far. But you mentioned that there were seven different groups. What are the other two? Ah, yes, a great question. Well, uh, there are the two groups of four living creatures. <laughs> that seems almost uh, uh, disrespectful, right, right, to call them creatures. But yet this is what the Bible calls them. There's right. four living creatures. And, and when we come across a text like that, and we see these, these words uh, combined together, four living creatures, we'll see that more than once, and we automatically assume that it's the same group of four living creatures, and what we're about to see here is that they're actually very different, and, uh, and they're a combination of, it seems. Because as we recapped a little bit last week, and we'll, we'll go through that here in just a moment, uh, the differences between those cherubs and seraphs, and they were anything but the little uh, chubby lawn right. ornament that we think of them to be. Rather, we have a, a new respect for them as we looked at cherubs, and perhaps they're 15 feet in height uh, wow. because of those that were modeled it recreated there by 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 sculpture and structure within the temple to cover over the ark. Uh, these 15-foot-tall cherubs with 15-foot wingspans and so forth. And and maybe that's just a glimpse of what their actual size and stature is before the posture of of, of heaven. Now, let me just kind of preface it with this. Before we get into the side-by-side comparisons of all of these, I'm, I'm fascinated by how often we look around and we don't understand the magnitude of what's even right in front of us. For example, as we're recording this broadcast right now, it's raining. There's clouds above us, and they're pouring out rain, and it's been a bit of a rainy week already. And I have just looked up at times, if I can do so without water falling into my eyes, but if I can look up and just kind of behold what God has created all around us, sometimes when we give it a name, we think we understand it. Right. And just because we can name it, just because we can behold it, even doesn't really justify or, or give 
our mind the space to comprehend what's actually happening all around us right now. So we struggle with what's seen, and of course then we're going to struggle with what's unseen, right? I mean, it, it almost seems like a figment, figment of, mag- of imagination or, or some kind of fictional work uh, when it's quite the contrary, that these things are very real, these beings are very real, they're in the presence of God, they're serving Him all across the globe even right now even in the room with our listener right now, right? right? So, but, but let me just put our eyes back on the clouds for a moment. Um, when, we, when we examine this, I, I, I kept thinking, wait a minute, how does this cotton ball that's above my head right now do so much? I, I mean, you think about the different types of rains, the devastation that can happen, the, the little uh, kind of the, the slight drizzle yeah. that might happen. I mean, if, if rain is falling, let's say it's one inch of rain falling over one square mile, that's 17.4 million gallons of water. That much water would weigh over 143 million pounds. And yet it's a cotton ball floating above our heads right. that carries all that. And just because we think we understand that, we don't really understand that. I yeah. mean, we, we can read as many scientific books on that as we can, see some videos that try to explain it to us, and yet our minds will struggle. And that's okay if we can't fully grasp what we're about to talk about uh, but we can behold the majesty of it. We we can see the handiwork of God, and we can give respect to things we don't yet fully understand and may not fully grasp until we're actually in the presence of the Lord. But at first glance, when we describe these cherubs, uh, which is all throughout Ezekiel, right? The Ezekiel chapter 10, verses 1 to 22 specifically, we can then get this image of these cherubs that seem to look a lot alike with these four living creatures. It all starts to blend together. And we get these descriptions of Ezekiel 1 and Revelation 4, but actually they're very different. And so that's what we want to look at here just for a moment. Uh, these, but let's just, let's look at them side by side here. In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 2 to 7, we get our first glimpse, glimpse of, of seraphs. And this particular book was written around 700 BC. Now, the description that we're given there in chronological order here, the seraphs are given to us first. There, there are two creatures that are captured there in description. Six wings, two to cover their face, two to cover their feet, two to fly with. And they keep saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And they seem to be the caretakers of the altar of heaven, and they're the fiery ones. You can almost picture their entire bodies looking like bronze, of just glowing as they're illuminating, even reflecting the glory of God back to himself. Then in Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 4 to 28, we get our first glimpse of this group called the four living creatures. And this particular book is written around 550 BC. And here's what it describes to us of the first set of four living creatures. It says there are four of them. And they have four faces each, a man, an eagle, a lion, which the lion specifically on the right side of the face, and an ox on the left side of the face. So we've got four faces, and the directions are given to us which side these faces are are pointed. Very important to understand. We'll look why in a moment. They have four wings. They have legs of a man, feet of an ox that look like bronze, these hands of a man, so they've got feet like a man, these legs of a man, and hands of a man, and they look like they're made of fiery torches. And then they have these wheels full of eyes with each creature following, each like these, these wheels of eyes that follow them, and they look like burl stones. Now, one of the clues here of where these four living creatures are 
is around one particular throne, and the one on the throne looks like a man, but the color of amber from his waist up and the color of fire from his waist down. And again, this is Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 4 to 28. The next group that comes on the scene are the cherubs. Now, this is in Ezekiel 10, 1 to 22, written around 540 B.C. Now, there's an unknown number of them, and they're in the temple of the Lord. They praise the Lord. Whether they actually sing or not, we talked a little bit about that last week, that we can assume that they sing, as even Satan, who was a fallen cherub, seems to know an awful lot about music, right? The only image that we get of angels singing in heaven, and or even cherubs for that matter, is I believe a Job where the hosts of heaven sing out right. to him, right? But for the most part in the Hebrew, it's often it could be shouts, could be giving glory and praises, sort of with uh, great exuberance, exclamation, right? Uh, but it may not be the term like we think of singing today. That may be reserved for us. I mean, right. the elders are the sure. ones who are singing unto the Lord. Uh, but they're called cherubs 20 times in Ezekiel chapter 10. Now, they also have four faces. I remember, Satan was a fallen cherub. They have four faces, a man, an eagle, and a lion, and the other face is called a face of a cherub. Well, we can't identify with that one. We don't know what a face of a cherub right, is. Right, we right. can certainly identify with the man, eagle, and the lion, but what's the face of the cherub? We don't know. So one face is not an ox like we see with the four living creatures. It's a face of a cherub, something unique. They have four wings. Their whole body is covered with eyes. You see some of the similarity there yeah. with the four living creatures. Uh, they have hands of a man. They have a wheel full of eyes with each creature that look like burl stones. Very similar. You see right, how those right. two could blur together. Definitely. But the faces are different. One of the faces is different. Then we get another set of four living creatures in Revelation chapter 4, verses 3 to 8, written around 90 to 95 AD. Here's the image we get. Four living creatures. Here's a, a key differentiating factor in this, right? I mean, this, here's a difference, right? The they have one face, not four, okay? Not four like we read in Ezekiel 1 or Ezekiel 10. They each have one face. So here's another group of four wow. living creatures that don't have four faces, only one face each. One has a face of a lion, another has a face of an ox, another has a face of a man, and another has a face of an eagle. Here's another difference. The other ones had four wings, except for the seraphs that had six. This group of four living creatures have six wings, just like the seraphs, one face each and six wings. Their whole body is covered with eyes. Here's another difference. Let's look to the one who's on the throne where these particular sets of, of four living creatures dwell. He, he looks like Jasper and Sardis in appearance. He has a rainbow all around him like emerald, and there are 24 elders with him and around him singing to him. So there's a difference. There's a difference but not only how they look, but around which throne they're around. And we read in Revelation 4, 7, 8, the first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Very reverential. And so I believe what we're seeing there, why there are differences in these four living creatures, is that we're seeing the throne of Jesus 
on his judgment seat in Revelation 5, 6, and we're seeing the throne of God the Father of Ezekiel 1 and Revelation 5, 7, since Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, both on thrones. And what's even amazing is when Jesus says is one of the gifts to us, that he will allow us right. to sit on his throne. Yeah, that is amazing. Can you imagine I such can't a even thing? imagine that. So that's a little bit of the side-by-side comparison. That doesn't give us the image of what we already talked about with angels or archangels or even demons in that category. But you see these other four very distinguished categories of worshipers within the presence of God in his very temple right before his very throne and how unique and awesome they are. Yeah. Uh, it's something to behold, really. Yeah, it really is. Thank you so much. That really provided a lot of clarity. I don't know how many times I've read those, and I really haven't made those distinctions. I've read those verses, but really haven't taken the time to really parcel out those differences. So that that was really fantastic. One of the questions I had as you were discussing that was, why is the number four stressed so much in the description? That's a great question because we often think of the number three, possibly right. the number seven, mm-hmm. maybe the That's number right. eight if we look at the full plan of God in that. We always think of number seven related to God. Every God does everything in sevens and threes, right? Uh, even the menorah, it's designed right. with the seven and, and so forth. But actually, number four is, is wonderfully symbolic in scripture. It's often a number of stability or order or completion of justice like the very place where justice happens that seems to be embodied in the number four. Uh, it's the unity of God. You know, like, wait a minute, I thought it's the number three, the Godhead of three. Well, it's interesting because there's the letter Shin, which has three prongs to right. it. But there's a future tense of the Shin that actually has four prongs. Why is it a future tense? Well, because of the bride of Christ, that culmination in his presence, something beautiful there. There's four divisions of race. Scripture often points to four divisions. We see that in Revelation 7, 9. Nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. There's four elements, and we see that fire, water, earth, and and air. Uh, Four wind directions, four seasons, four empires is laid out by Daniel 7. Four representations of Christ, even. Uh, the, The lion stresses his kingly majesty of Matthew 1 and 16 and 20. Uh, Then we also see this calf or the ox that stresses the lowly service and patience of Mark 1 and even through chapter 10 and 15. The man image, of course, symbolizes the son of man, right, of Luke 19, 10. And of course, the eagle, very powerful imagery that he is Lord over all the earth, right, of John chapter 20, verse 31. Of course, there's four Gospels. And if you had the Book of Kells in front of you right now as you're listening to this, you would see that on that cover, it was a book that was completed in Ireland around 800 AD, uh, so over 1,200 years ago. And in it, it gives this imagery that was quite common, very familiar, that Matthew equaled the lion, Mark equaled the ox, Luke equals man, and John equals the eagle, right? And so that was depicted right there on the cover. There's also four directions of the camps of Israel with the banners that were above them. In fact, the group that was represented by the lion camped on the east in Numbers chapter 2. It had Judah and Issachar and Zebulun. Uh, Then you have the the camp of Reuben and Simeon and Gad, and they camp to the south. They're represented by the man in Numbers 2, 10 to 16. You have the camp of Ephraim and Manasseh and Benjamin. They camp to the west, which was imaged by the ox in Numbers chapter 2. You've got the camp of Dan and Naphtali and and Asher. 
Uh, they, they camped to the north. They're represented by the eagle. So each one camped, according to the numbers 2-2, by their own standard and emblem of their father's house. And if you took the numbers of those camps, it's the perfect imagery of all four sides of the cross with wow. the temple, with the tabernacle right there in the middle. And what's interesting is that you have the lion at the east. That's a powerful imagery because it's in through the eastern gate in which Jesus entered into Israel, in which he's crying over Jerusalem, not just Israel, but Jerusalem specifically. And it's at the eastern gate where we see that previously Adam and Eve were evicted out of the Garden of Eden and the eastern gate had been blocked up. So only by through Jesus Christ, the Lion of Judah, can we enter into the presence with God once again and coming into his garden represented intimacy with God. So those four faces are perfectly demonstrating not only the plan of God and the perfection of God, not in the future tense, but throughout all of time in the full plan of God. So the very creatures he's designed around his thrones emulate that, and they're designed accordingly. And I say, when we look to all of these things, we can get overwhelmed, and then we wonder, is it just information for the sake of information? Right. Or is there something more to be had and heard in this? And when I read passages like Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Well, we're talking about possibly 15-foot-tall cherubs. We're talking about four living creatures and seraphs, six wings and beautiful beings that worship God and the archangels that fight for him, possibly seven of them, and and the potentially millions of angels in his his presence that that obey his every command. And we know that two-thirds of them remained with the Lord while a third rebelled against him. That means his army is twice the size. Yeah. And we also know that with God, all things are possible. And, if, and in Colossians, it says he holds all things together. Right. So if he didn't want something to be, it wouldn't exist. That's right. But he can send one angel dispatched to kill 185,000 men. Yeah. The Lord Jesus said he could have dispatched legions to come to his aid when one would have been sufficient. That's right. These sort of things give me great confidence in my faith that yeah. we are more than conquerors by the one who is right there with us. And I believe that there seems to be something missing, that when we examine all of this, missing perhaps in the church today, that there is absolute reverence when you examine this. I mean, their posture, when they're shouting unto the Lord, holy, 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 there is such a reverence for God that seems to be ever elusive by the people of God. And we read in James 2.19, he says, you have faith, you say you have faith. For you believe that there is one God, good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. Right. And rightfully so. I mean, God is all-powerful and able to destroy them by himself. But now we've got this massive army of angels and archangels and cherubs and seraphs and four living creatures, an amazing array at God's fingertips of, of power and splendor. And yet, why do we fear the enemy at all? And, and right. why are we so withholding? a posture of reverential awe. And and I know that reverence has really been on your heart. And and as we've gone through this study together, you've talked about some of these Christian attitudes. Talk to us a little bit about that. Let me ask you, Dr. Ford, as you've heard, as we've gone through this, what is your posture as you think about reverence and what comes to mind for you? Yeah, I totally agree. And I think one of the blessings that we have from these verses, and as you stated, everything is given to us for a purpose. Mm, amen. And we just have to look at God anew with complete and amazing reverence of our all-powerful, amazing, loving God. 
And to think that beings this powerful bow down before God Mm. and and reverence him and spend eternity, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. I love that from Isaiah 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. One of the things I love about that verse as well is what happens to Isaiah there? I'm an unclean man of unclean lips. Mm. This is how, without the blood of Christ, any of us would feel in the presence of a holy, amazing God. We would, we would wilt, but the cold is put on his lips, his sins are forgiven, he's able to tolerate the presence of God. And I think that's just such great imagery about what Jesus did for us, and we shouldn't fail to hold back any reverence, any praise, worship, and glory to God for what he's done for us and what he saved us from. Amen, amen. Now, as you put this to practical application for us today, as we're in our final minutes together, which goes by so fast, uh, how do we reverence God's name? How would you encourage our listener right now that we can get into that posture of reverential awe before God once again with all that we've just learned over these past three weeks? Yeah, I think one way is definitely the way that we live, the way we live our lives. We're here, as we've said again and again, like Esther, for this particular time, for this purpose, God has placed us here. Mm. We're not here by accident. That's right. The way that we live, the way that we the worship, the way that other people can see Christ reflected through us into their lives, the things that God is doing in our lives, how we face situations. The way that we live can definitely be a form of reference for God. And I think everything that we do should be a form of worship. Yeah. So I think definitely the way that we live, that should definitely reflect our creator. The other is by learning how to truly worship him. Mm. So Jesus said that God seeks those who worship him in spirit and truth. So with spirit, Really, that's our hearts. Our hearts abandoned to him. As, as Paul said, we're crucified to this life. It's no longer we who live, but Christ lives in us. That's right. And I think with our minds as well, doing exactly what we're doing now, looking at Scripture, meditating on Scripture, reading Scripture, praying Scripture, and just being immersed in Scripture that's right. is a great way to worship our Heavenly Father and show yeah. reverence. Amen. I mean, we have our prayer time on Wednesdays. We get together every Wednesday at church. I know it's not a convenient time. It's at the noon hour, but we read Psalms. That's how we started off. We sing, we read Psalms, uh, trying to find music that is not about us, but about him. Deflect from us, put it back on him. You are the one worthy to be praised. Read Psalms together. We read some Proverbs, even uh, seeking wisdom and understanding that, that can apply to our lives, even in the here and now. And then we we make our words known to him that they are his words being prayed right back to him. Amen. Right, that's what we desire. Romans eight, we yep. want to pray his will back to him. And, and so I think all of that helps sort of craft to put the mind back in a proper perspective to whom we're praying to, and in whom's presence we're praying. Right, right. I mean, this is a reverential holy God worthy of praise. Yeah. And if we don't do it, the rocks will. Right, right? that's <laughs> exactly I love that. right. Yep. Uh, but I, I, I'm so thankful to you and how your heart in this has been that through this journey that we not just simply process more information, uh, but that at the end of this, we as believers, as children of the living God, learn to worship uh, in respect uh, in, in maybe a, a posture of just quieting down a little bit. We, right. We're getting awfully noisy yeah. in, in our worship today. Uh, and it just seems like there's a, a posture of just of quiet, just praise him. I mean, the 24 yeah. elders are singing to him. They're casting their crowns at his feet. 
Uh, if, if all this has done is help just craft a little bit better image in our mind of to whom we're praying to and how the angels are bringing the bowls of our prayers before him right. and it's a sweet aroma into yeah. his nostrils. Yeah. Uh, and then he turns and uses those prayers as ammunition against the enemy right. and the works it's of incredible. the devil and, the, and against the Babylonian system that blasphemes his holy name. Yeah. All of this just gives us a better posture, I believe, yeah. of just a humble, penitent hearts. Right. before him right? i agree and i just love your heart for that so thank, no, you, thank for, you for for this journey together and this i know that next awesome. week we're going to have even more to to share with you uh, our topic will change course a bit but if you want to listen to this again and maybe you picked up halfway through and you want to pick up where we began this journey talking about angelic beings over the past three weeks visit us at calvaryfountain.com. And again, you'll find all of these prior broadcasts there. You can find the video teachings on these as well, and even sermon notes. We want to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So again, we want to thank you for listening today to Engage in Truth. If you're looking for a church to go deeper in God's Word together with others, come and check us out again, Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. We worship together on Sundays even at 8 and 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings but throughout the week as well. And again, you can learn more at calvaryfountain.com. God bless you, my friends. Take care.